Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. This teaching is from our MVF Church Gateway Campus, which is based out of Uri, Wyoming. Here at MVF Church, our goal is to raise up and multiply world-changing disciples. We're glad you're here, so let's get into the teaching of God's Word. If you're new to new-ish, or maybe you haven't been here for a couple of weeks, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah, it's a historical text, which means it, it, it covers some history, okay? Uh, it, it's weird, though, because it's not really chronologically, like, through history. They kind of jump around, like an old 90s song. Um, but Nehemiah was called out of the service of the king into God's service of rebuilding the walls. Now, last week, we talked about celebration. We had some things to celebrate because there are things that we need to celebrate. There are. I want to bring to mind, though, what they had to celebrate, like how this focus, um, how evident to everyone there that God was involved with the rebuilding of this wall. Okay, so going to throw some facts at you, hopefully. <laughs> okay. So they finished the wall around Jerusalem in 52 days, okay? And I know, there's really small writing. It's because there's a lot of facts. I should have put it on more than one slide. Mental note for next time. Okay, 457-ish is about when they finished this wall, okay? Now, just so we know, there's about 1,500 pounds per square yard of average rock, okay? So that's a lot of pounds. Um, But the length of the wall, the length of the walls all the way around was about 2.5 miles. 2.5 miles, okay? Their average height, so some taller, a little bit shorter, shorter maybe, average height was 12 feet, which is like the snow in California right now, okay? Average height, 12 feet, okay? And the average thickness was uh, 2.5 meters, which was like eight, eight and a little bit feet, okay? So... You have these walls that are 12 feet high, eight feet wide, and two and a half miles around, and they finished it in 52 days. And some of the time, only half of them were working because they had to hold a spear to make sure that people didn't come in charge and get them. And they worked, and they didn't tire, and they worked. And 52 days, think about any construction that you've ever seen. Does anything take 52 days? One house, one house. Does it take 52 days? No. So this was an amazing accomplishment that obviously God had his hand in. Um, I, I put this, just so you know, 4,261,422 cubic feet of rock. That's a lot of rock. Okay. Which, weight-wise, would be about 703,134,630 pounds of stone. Which means they would have had to move 13,521,819 pounds per day to rebuild this wall. That's that's more than a ton. It's a lot of tons. Okay? So... um, just so you know, now when we see the walls of Jerusalem, which I think there's a, there's a picture, but in 1537 to 1541, so notice that that took four years, the Ottoman Empire, um, during the Ottoman Empire, uh, Sultan 
Suleiman, I, I made that really poor, sorry, uh, the Magnificent, decided to rebuild the walls uh, fully and partly on some of the ancient walls. So he went through and they rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem. It took him four years. This was 2,000 years later with advancements, with uh, probably more people, without the threat of being killed, you know, four years. And it took him 52 days the first time around. So this, you can kind of see, sorry, um, this is the Wailing Wall, the West Wall. Um, some of it was rebuilt. Obviously, you can kind of tell some of the stuff that's a little bit older, some of the stuff that's a little bit newer. This is the East Gate where Jesus said, hey, I'm coming back through this way. So that's cool. Um, but I just, sometimes we need to sit back and just be like, whoa, God, some things seem impossible, but with God, they can happen, right? So today, yeah, I wanted to briefly touch on the celebration. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how, how, where were the hearts of the people? Because last week we talked about they, they started to wail. They're, they're, they're sad. And all the teachers, Ezra and all the teachers of the law were like, no, this is a day holy unto the Lord. Go eat really good food. Go, this is a festival. This is, this is time to glorify God. But let's talk a little bit about why they were wailing. Because chapters 9 and 10, which is where we're going to be today. So if you would like to follow along, Nehemiah chapter 9 and 10. Um, again, it's between Ezra and Esther um, in the Old Testament, almost partway through the Bible. Uh, they, the, it details why they were upset. Okay, So to start with, they remembered their sin. Sometimes here, even in, in the nowadays, people, I don't know if they really realize that, you know, what sin is. They're like, I want Jesus in my life. He sounds super cool. We have a cool handshake, okay? But they actually don't know why they would need God. Why do you need Jesus? Well, they knew. The Israelites knew why they needed Jesus. So um, they took time and uh, they gathered together, fasted. So that means they didn't eat food. They wore sackcloth, which was something that you would do if you were in mourning, okay? Um, yeah, Mordecai did it with es uh, Esther as well, but like sackcloth, just for you kids, it would have been super uncomfortable, okay? Not something that's like, oh yeah, I've got some really nice gear today. It would have been very uncomfortable, but the whole purpose was to show that you were, you were distraught, you were broken because of something, okay? So they were fasting, they wore sackcloth, and they put dust on their heads, basically saying like, I, I am not worthy of anything that God has done. And they read God's word for a quarter of the day. And another quarter of the day, they, they spent in confession and in worship of God. I don't know the last time, I, I, I don't think I've spent a quarter of a day confessing my sins. But this was a pretty momentous event in history. All the Israelites needed to understand what where they were. And so they remembered their sin. They took time to confess what they had done and not just what they had done, but what the whole of Israelites, all like all, their, the generations of sin that were there. So 
Um, they they worship God uh, by after that by saying, "Blessed be your glorious name. May it be exalted above the blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens." and even the highest heavens and all the starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything and the uh, multitudes of heaven worship you. Everything, everything worships you, God. They took time to praise God with that, and then they went through and remembered the depth of their sin. So sometimes when we sin, we're like, oh, God, please forgive me. You know, I messed up again. Why? Because we, we mess up daily, right? Sin is unfortunately part of this broken world, right? Even, even being made new, we still unfortunately have this broken body that will be glorified at some point, but we have this broken body that sins. They, they realized the depth of their sin. They didn't rationalize um, what, uh, what their, their, the people had done, what they had done. And so they went all the way through and <clears throat> they first said, God, here's what you did. So in chapter nine, it says, you, uh, verse nine, chapter nine, verse nine, you saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard the cry in the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against the officials and the people of the land. You uh, sorry, for you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians had treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. God was glorified through something that for the Egyptians, this was a pretty big deal. They worshiped many gods. And God came in and basically plague by plague was like, yep, your God is nothing. It's not really even a God. I am the only true God. And all of the plagues pointed to something that they worshiped. So God made a name for himself by how he pulled the Israelites out and also by just pulling them out of slavery. So he pulled them out of slavery. You divided the sea before them so they passed through it on dry ground. You hurled it, the pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. Kids, have you ever tossed a rock into some water? I mean, if you skip it, it might go a little ways, but like when it stops skipping, it just, right? Yeah. Okay, so that's unfortunately kind of what happened here uh, for the Egyptians, but they were pursuing to kill them, the Israelites. So they, they were hurled into the depths. <clears throat> by day, you led them by a pillar of cloud, and by night, a pillar of fire. And you gave them light, and they were, uh, give them light on the way uh, they were to take. So he guided them through his spirit. Um, you came down from Mount Sinai, and you spoke from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws <clears throat> that are just and right. Not were, they are just and right. These laws that Moses brought down, these were the right things. And the decrees and commandments that were good. <clears throat> and you made known to them the Holy Sabbath. And you gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. Okay, so the Israelites are taking time. They take time to go, hey, this is... This, you set it all up. You gave us laws. You, they were good. You gave us things to focus on because you knew that we would struggle, and it was good. All these things were really good. And then in their hunger, so the Israelites, you gave them bread. You, you provided. In their thirst, you brought 
water from a rock. And I'm going to start kind of skipping through a little bit um, if you're following along. Verse 16, but they, our ancestors, what did they do? They became arrogant, stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember. All of chapter 9 goes through, God, you did this. Thank you. We did this. Not good. God, you did this. Then we did this. And in our own lives, I know for myself, oftentimes I'm like, God, you did this in my life. You pulled me from death into life. And then I did this. Somebody, I was watching a, a quick little snippet video and somebody's like, well, why don't you just keep on sinning? You know, like if God's grace is going to cover it. Now, yes, we know what Paul says about this, but it was a very graphic image. I was like, okay, this is a, I'm a very visual person. I like seeing things. And so uh, this guy said, well, it would be kind of like a father taking his son out camping and says, hey, we're next to this lake. And these, this lake has, is, is full of alligators that are vicious and will eat you alive. They, they will not even hesitate. This will happen if you go out into that water, if you take this boat out. Don't do that for your good. Father falls asleep. Son is like, okay, I know he said don't, but I'm pretty sure I can handle a boat. The, the kid at that moment passes out, wakes up on the shoreline, looks around, he's like, oh, I'm all right. I'm okay. And looks at his father who has been ravaged by alligators. And this is a visual of how if we continue to go back to sin, like the payment for sin is death. Those alligators eating you. God said, don't do that. Not because I'm a mean, spiteful dad, but because that will cause death. And he saves us out of that. And he bears the wounds himself. So I would say that you have a really poor relationship if you try to dive back into that water every single time. Not saying that we won't step into that water, unfortunately, because we all sin. But like willingly going back like, hey, that was kind of a fun time. Sorry, Dad. That's not a good relationship. So I guess what I say with that is the visual of what Christ did for us. The depth of the sin, even a small sin, is going to cause harm. It has a cost. There is a price. The price is only being able to be paid by one person, fully man, fully God. It couldn't be a lamb because a lamb just covered the people that were sacrificing it. It had to be something greater. So God gave up himself, gave up his son to die on the cross for us. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many times you've gone out into that water with that boat. God loves you enough that he, want, he will do that. He has already paid the price because he loves you. And so then how do we respond? So all of chapter nine, Israelites, they cast themselves uh, an image of gold and they worshiped it and said, this is the God that took you out of Israel or out of Egypt. And they worshiped it. And then Moses came down and was like, what are you doing? Right? 
They were stiff-necked. They were arrogant. They went back into their sin, even after like just being saved from the Egyptians. They had everything provided for them. God gave them a good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold manna from their mouths. You gave them water. Verse 22, you gave them the kingdoms and the nations. You brought them into a land that you told their parents that they would possess, and you subdued everyone in front. The Canaanites, you, you went ahead and, and finished the battle. You gave this to them. But, verse 26, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. You delivered them into the hands of their enemies, and they were oppressed, and they cried out to you. But from, God, from heaven, you heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hands of the enemies. Verse 28, but as soon as they were at rest, they did it evil again in your sight. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your uh, ordinances. They were stubborn. All of this, the Israelites are crying out to God, you... You did all of this, and we kept, we kept acting wickedly. Verse 33, in all that has happened to us. So we've been delivered into the hands of our enemies. We were in exile. A lot of people died. We, like Nehemiah, <clears throat> his family was pulled to Babylon, right? Several hundred miles away. All of this oppression, everything that happened was because they had acted wickedly and the Israelites knew this. They're like, hey, all of this, you remained righteous and you have acted faithfully while we, we acted wickedly. They knew exactly the depth of their sin. They knew that it wasn't God's fault for what they were going through. It was their fault, their wickedness. Um, and, you know, if, if you want a good example of how to respond to that, uh, Psalm 51 is one that's written by David. And if you understand David's life, David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man that loved God and just was a man who messed it up, right? Like, you, you probably could have messed it up worse, but like, I don't know if you could have with Uriah, Bathsheba, like he, he went and he acted wickedly, right? So he wrote this psalm, uh, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin, it's always before me. Why? Because literally it's before him. He sees it every day. He knows what he's done. Against you and you alone have I sinned, which is interesting because I think he sinned against other people. But the main thing is he sinned against God. That is the great transgression. And I've done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even from in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop which would be a throwback to um, Passover, okay, hyssop, uh, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and gladness. Uh, let my bones you have crushed rejoice. 
Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take the Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I know that right now I'm just reading Psalms. This is a great one for everyone who struggles with one, once we understand the depth of our sin, do you understand that God has forgiven you? Do you live in the forgiveness that God has already provided? Or do you question it? Are you like, well, I don't know if your grace is enough. God's grace is enough. Yeah, but I messed up again. God's grace is enough. Yeah, but I'm stiff-necked. I'm arrogant. I keep doing the things I hate. Say hello to Paul. Give him a high five. Paul said it in Romans 7, right? I do the things I hate to do. And the things I want to do, I, I can't, I, I don't do the things I want. I do the things I hate. Ah, a wicked man am I, right? Israelites, they knew the depth of their sin. They were confessing their sin. Do we understand the depth of our sin? Do we confess it? And then, do we live in the freedom that comes from knowing that God's forgiven us? Because it truly is the only freedom that you can find. Freedom can only come from the one who, who is the judge. And there is only one just and righteous judge. And there has been a payment for your sins. But you do have to receive that payment. You have to receive Jesus. You can't just say, well, I, I like the payment, but I don't know if I can handle the rest. Well, you either like life or you don't. <laughs> so life comes through his son. Death comes from not, accept, not having his son in your life. So, um, there's more in uh, Psalm 51. I encourage you, if you're struggling, understand that David was struggling. Understand you're not the only one that's ever struggled. Understand you're not the only one that is struggling at this moment. There are other people that will pray with you. There are, there are many people that have come before you who have prayed many really heartfelt prayers to God for the exact sin that you're struggling with. Pray. Be in God's word. Read through Psalm 51. And then, through all of that, revival. And I love this word. Revival is a great word. Do you guys like English? Like some of you are English people. Okay, so re means again. Vival or like the V-I-V, viv. That's life, right? Vive. That's Spanish for like life. So um, revival means to live again. So once we've gone through this, where we confess our sins, where we find that we have forgiveness, revival, we have new life. And the Israelites were no different. Okay, they, were like, they said, hey, we did all this stuff. And because of our, sons, our sins were abundant and the harvest goes to the kings that you placed over us. In view of this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing. Our leaders and our Levites and our priests are affixing their seals to it. So everyone... Everyone say, hey, we know where we're at without you. We want you over us. We don't, we don't want anyone else over us. We only want you. You are the Lord over all. There is no other king higher than you. You are the Lord over all. And we, we know that we have life through you. So we have this revival. They, they put it down in writing that... This is, this is the way that they want to go. Um, 
lastly, uh, chapter 10, verse 29 says, All these now join their fellow Israelites and nobles and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees the Lord um, of the Lord our Lord. So when we think about that, they are now recommitting their life. If you have kind of stepped away, if you've backslid, if you are struggling in some way, recommit your life. It's not like God's going to be like, nope, you had one chance. Sorry, messed it up. No, the Israelites are a great example of this, right? They messed up. They're stiff-necked. They're arrogant. They sinned. And yet God's like, yeah, I have you. First John says like, if you're, If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive it. But we do have to come to that confession. We have to understand the depth of that sin. Um, Lastly, just a couple of verses from Galatians, uh, and then we'll close out. Uh, Galatians 2, 20 through 21. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Everything that we do should be through that filter, right? Like, who are you? I'm a teacher. I'm a, I, I work out in the fields. No, who are you? I am a son of God. God has called me his heir. Christ lives in me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's who I am. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set out aside the grace of God for it is uh, the righteousness. Um, could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So again, if we could if we could uphold the law, then everything that we did would uh, would be for nothing, right? Like if we could just do the law, there's no need for Christ. If we could just uphold the law. But we can't. We have to have Christ. And so Christ died for something. It, it wasn't for nothing. He died for you personally. He loves his creation. He loves who he has made in his image, which is you, every single one. Um, Galatians 5, 24 through 25, those who belong to Christ Jesus have been nailed, uh, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to this cross and crucified them there. Meaning, we, we, don't, have to, we don't have to continue to go to that sin. You have freedom. You're no longer a slave to sin. You have nailed those to the cross. God doesn't give you more than you can bear. But are you filtering everything in your life through Christ or are you trying to live it on your own? So when he says we nailed our passions and desires, yeah, we're still going to mess up. But like, are we living for those passions and desires or are we living for Christ? We nailed it to the cross and they crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Every day, oh, just say, God, Lead me. Lead me to any conversation. Open up my eyes to what you're doing in this community. Help me to know when I need to say something. Help me to know when I shouldn't say something. That's a good one too, right? Help me to know how to respond. In all of this, we, we are all sinners. Don't, don't, don't take away the wrong message here because First John says, if you think that you live without sin, you're a liar, right? And you make him out to be a liar. We're all sinners. We've all sinned. We still all sin. All of us 
Do we confess these sins? Do we continue to say, God, we, I messed up. I need a savior. Do you know God's forgiveness? Have you allowed God's forgiveness to sustain you? Do you understand that that grace doesn't just cover big things, medium things, little things, it covers it all. And how can we keep in step with the spirit? If you enjoyed this teaching, we would love to have you join us for a live gathering. If you need more information about us, including our gathering times or previous teachings, you can find all that at mvfchurch.com. And make sure you follow us on social media too. See you next time.